I'm at the doctor's office, and as you can imagine, things are going pretty good. She's checking me out. Things are getting pretty steamy. Her lab coat's half open, half closed. I'm reading it as a potential go. And... (laughs) It's been about two minutes. She hasn't asked me a single freaking thing about what's been going on with that odor coming out of my legs that I was telling you about the other day. Um, Anyway, I'm out there sprawled on the table. I'm waiting for her to give it to me. And she says, you're going to need a tetanus shot. And I say, I'll give you a tinnitus shot. (laughs) And she's like, a tinnitus shot, I said. Yeah. And she's like, what? And I start just screaming. You know, I'm bellowing in that doctor's ears. And she's like, please, I cannot hear a thing. Anyway, one thing led to another. I need a new doctor. <laughs> wow. That's so crazy. It is hard to find a family doctor these days in Montreal. There are limited physicians where I live. <laughs> so how's your week been, Elliot? Spooky, Vanessa. What about yeah. you? Yeah. Halloween's upon us. Yeah, everywhere you look, it's there's a ghost or a ghoul or a pumpkin. That's everywhere you look. You can't escape it. I'm haunted by it. I'm haunted. So have you watched any scary movies lately? No, have you? Are you sure you haven't? No, why? Nothing have at you? All? Nothing like an old 80s horror film? Oh, yeah. Well, I think we both agreed it wasn't really scary. The but- Changeling? Oh yeah, the chain. I thought you were talking about Poltergeist. Oh yes, Poltergeist is also. Yeah, Changeling was good. Made. I'm told. I think he was American, but the Wikipedia called it a Canadian horror. I don't know if that means it was shot in Canada. Uh, it was okay. Tbh, to be honest, I was kind of falling asleep towards mm-hmm. the end. Uh, but you know, that's any movie after eight thirty p.m. that we watch in the apartment. Mm-hmm. But did you uh, find it scary, Vanessa? A little bit. It was. I was pretty optimistic going into it because it's you know it sounds like everything i want the recipe i want for a horror film it's about a a recently widowed uh man and he moves into a big victorian house and finds a creepy little room that has like a wheelchair and discovers that there was this child who was isolated from his family and lived in this room anyways it's really creepy but it ends up becoming something else entirely so i don't really recommend it yeah. Yeah, started out pretty strong, but we're not Wikipedia. You can read about mm-hmm. it yourself if you want. Uh Vanessa doesn't recommend it. I don't recommend it. But it's got a pretty high rating, so I don't know. Whatever you think is important for a movie, then you can decide for yourself. But anyway, Vanessa, I mean, what have you been up to? You reading anything uh good lately? Yeah. Right now I'm reading The Secret History by Donna Tart, and I'm really enjoying it. It's about a group of college students who end up murdering one of their friends and hiding you know trying to to hide their the crime it's actually reminds me a lot of search party of uh, the, the television series never seen um, it what's that about you've seen it i know but chances are the listeners that's true in their multitudes might not have that's true it's the the search, uh, search party it's about these uh, friends in new york city who know an, uh, someone from their their college who goes missing and they look into it and they kind of become like a scooby scooby-doo like crew trying to figure it out and then it's because turns out that there wasn't really actually a mystery and that she wasn't missing but anyways lots of spoiler but very very good television series so yeah i'm reading that right now and but today that's where we're talking about we're talking about spooky stories so yeah that's right Haunt- get into it haunted podcast um haunted pod ghost this is our ghost cast yeah i guess for lack Clever. of a funnier term. Yep. Yeah. 
So I'm just going to go ahead and jump in and go say that I'm going to go first and talk about a movie that we saw last week, which was dun 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 the lighthouse. Woo. Uh, yeah, woohoo indeed. Great movie. Pretty fr- pretty weird. Um, same guy that made the witch. You know, what what's his name? Robert Eggers or mm-hmm. Richard Eggers? Something Eggers. Reggers, we'll call it. We'll say for short. Directed it and uh, he co-wrote it with his brother. Uh, Max, Max, I think. I think so. Oh, I don't know. With that being said, pretty effing phenomenal. I'm gonna go ahead and put this on paper right now before we get even started into this, just to encourage people to listen, regardless audio of if you paper. have not seen it. Yeah, audio paper, the sonic soundscape forever imprinted on the internet. This was a 10 out of 10 film for Elliot. What do you think wow. about that, Vanessa? No, it is for me too. A 10 out of 10. How many movies have we seen that I've said? Yeah, it's okay, but I wouldn't give it like a nine. I'd say like a good eight. That's really high praise coming from Elliot, the critic Briarly. I gave you a six out of ten on our first date. Yeah. That's just for reference, and we're still doing this podcast. <laughs> yeah. It, no, I actually don't think I can think of another movie that we've seen together that you thought was a ten out of ten. Maybe except for In the Mood for Love and The Killing of a Sacred Deer. I think you really enjoyed. But really, besides that... I can't really think of another movie you gave a 10 out of 10. Yeah, and for our listeners, I like cool, tough stuff, too. Like I think I mentioned earlier, um, Skyscraper with Dwayne Johnson was pretty good. <laughs> I saw a lot of that with my dad. Mission Impossible Fallout, I did watch to completion. It was excellent. <laughs> pretty uh, pretty good for Tom Cruise. That was like everything. So I like a little bit of all. You know, I like to sample all genres. Right. But this movie, a definite 10 out of 10. So I'll give you the quick uh, Google movie summary to save you a click. Uh, two lighthouse keepers try to maintain their sanity while living on a remote and mysterious New England island in the ni- 1890s. So it doesn't really give much away. I don't think the trailer gives that much away either. I think uh, it just kind of shows the two main characters, only actors, Robert Pattinson and Wilhelm Defoe, uh, uh, just really acting their little, you know, tiny sailor butts off Mm -hmm. if i could be so uh brass um they're on the island and of course these are spoilers so if you haven't seen the movie just hit pause pay the 1375 to catch that mother effer at scotiabank or whatever cineplex Cineplex. yeah cineplex a lot of them are owned by scotiabank i think scene points uh but it was please be our partner be your sponsor (laughs) scotiabank should be our partner? Our sponsor, yeah. Oh, hell, even if you just send us 25 scene points each, mm-hmm. I'll do That's it. That's enough. Yeah. That's enough. Uh, anyway, so yeah, if you've seen it, keep listening. Crazy. It was so good. Willem Dafoe plays a sailor. Uh, the other one, Robert Pattinson, plays a second sailor. Well, or a former. Oh, right. One's a former sailor. And yeah, one's yeah, a yeah. Former... One's a. Hey, hey, okay, okay, okay. I like this movie too. Let's just take it easy. And the other one is a former uh, woodsman, a lumberman or whatever. He works in a lumberyard. It's revealed. But first, we don't know much about him. We only know that that uh, Willem Dafoe's character was a sailor. It's shot in a square aspect ratio. I don't know what that's called, but it's the frame is square instead of wider. Uh, I love that, you know. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm still processing this movie myself. Wow, I don't fancy even know. Man all... with all hey, your fancy I said careful, Vanessa. <laughs> I said careful. Okay. No, I'm just gay. I'm just playing around now. Vanessa likes to razz me. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, yeah. So 
it's a uh, square aspect shot in Sorry, black and white. Is it in Technicolor? Pardon? Oh, thank you. Okay. I wanted to know if it was in Technicolor. Oh, we've got a little bit of a Halloween prankster over here. And you can't tell. Maybe you can. Vanessa's dressed as a pair of scissors for Halloween because she <laughs> likes to just keep cutting Elliot off. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. We're just having fun. Uh, yeah, so it's shot in black and white. Great movie. It kind of follows these guys that come to watch The Lighthouse. They, I think it's implied that they're in four-week shifts, month-long shifts. Uh, starts out pretty normal. We see that Willem Dafoe's character is the one that actually watches The Lighthouse. Robert Pattinson is the one that has to do all the grunt work, like changing the shingles on the roof, getting the coal, cleaning the house. It's in pretty gross dis- disrepair. Uh, very early on, though, we learn that Willem Dafoe's character is very protective of the light in the lighthouse kind of mysterious robert pattinson doesn't really know why but he's like whatever he wants to be a light keeper of his own one day a wiki i think they're called great term didn't know what it meant but i could infer in the movie that it meant somebody that keeps lighthouses so you know things go on the weeks pass uh we're warned at the beginning don't kill a seabird kind of an ominous warning from willem dafoe uh, not a day or two later, we see that... Oh, actually, no, I'm getting it bad and mixed up. First, Robert Pattinson is getting tortured, tormented by this seagull. He tells Willem Dafoe about this, or Willem Dafoe sees him being tormented by the seagull, and Willem Dafoe says, uh, don't kill a can, seabird. Can They're you say the, it the way he says it, though? Yar, don't kill a seabird. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I was in contention for the role, but ultimately they said they want somebody older. And that can grow a beard. Um, so Willem Dafoe warns about the seabird. Next day, Robert Pattinson, or a few days from now, one thing leads to another. He really brutally kills that same seabird that's been tormenting him. We're like, uh-oh, we know what's going to happen, something bad, because we're warned that if you kill a seabird, you're going to be tortured by fate. Of course, the day before they're supposed to leave, a hor- torrential downpour falls in, a horrendous downpour. They can't get off the island. We're told that they'll just have to wait. They might have to wait seven months for the rain to stop because uh, in the middle of the sea, the storms are worse and they don't go away as soon. They eventually start drinking, which kind of then devolves into a series of, I don't know, 30 minutes. The rest of the movie just almost like total debauchery. They're always drunk. Uh, We kind of start losing track of what time it is in that Robert Pattinson says like, okay, well, maybe the, the, the new people will come tomorrow to replace us. And Willem Dafoe is like, what are you talking about? You've been drinking for weeks. Like, this has been weeks since it's come and gone. Like, you need to watch out. And it's kind of confusing, right? So we introduce elements of, like, isolation and losing yourself and not being able to, you know, we see that Robert Pattinson might be, like, an unreliable narrator. He's having these visions of some guy that he killed. We learn later that he actually did kill somebody and he's on the run. He's taken on a false identity. Uh, all this crazy stuff. You know, I'm not really putting it in a sequential order. I'm just kind of bringing these things up as they come to mind. But it was awesome. At the very end of the movie, he kills Willem Dafoe. He just goes totally nuts. Uh, I'm skipping ahead, of course, but it'll come back to it in the discussion. He kills Willem Dafoe. He goes crazy. Uh, We're not sure he's having visions or what. There's scenes of, like, Willem Dafoe with tentacles kind of comes to a head at the end when he has a flash of Willem Dafoe being this, like, sea monster almost when he's choking him to death. Uh, finally, Robert Pattinson gets what he wants. He goes to the lighthouse. There's a scene of him where it's almost muted out, or I should say it's just, we only hear like noise, like really sounds like filtered noise of him screaming. He looks like he's in pure ecstasy at first when he reaches the light. Uh, but 
then it turns to almost pain. He collapses. He falls down the entire lighthouse. Cut to black. Next scene. He's on a rock. He's having his liver picked out by a freaking seagull. Insanity. I feel frantic even trying to recount what happened. I'm sweating. Uh, yeah, I'm sweating. It's very warm. I'm scared. I'm distraught thinking about it. I feel manic. But it was an incredible movie. Wow. Vanessa, what do you think about that hodgepodge description I just gave? Well, I think that you did a good job because it isn't it isn't a film that, that happens sequentially, like the events. It's not a linear series of events. Well, and, it kind of is. Well, but I mean, it's like you said, we don't really know the time. Right, it's not day-to-day, like, or we don't know that it's day-to-day. And he's it's like you said, where we don't really know it's real. He also has visions of a mermaid uh, uh, several times, and so obviously probably not real but we it's kind of scary and spooky and yeah it's spooky it's kind of ominous uh, we can see that he's kind of losing himself in this process uh they're always drunk so there's kind of they're flashing pretty frequently erratically between like laughing and crying there's a funny scene and a lot of humor in this movie too mm-hmm. that's what i like very very funny it doesn't take itself too seriously throughout there's a scene where they're both drunk in the bedroom and robert pattinson is telling willem dafoe like i hate you i hate everything about you you're not even a good cook. And they're having this big fight, and Willem Dafoe suddenly almost turns childish, like he's like he's uh, being berated by a parent. You know, he says, like, no. You know, he's like, please, tell me I'm a good cook. Like, you're, you're making you're that up. You're fond of me, lobster? Yeah, you're, you're fond of me, lobster. And it's, he curses him. Yeah, he curses him. He has this big, incredible curse. Willem Dafoe's acting in this movie. Let me just say, phenomenal. Phenomenal yeah phenomenal right it's amazing he delivers these very drawn out so uh monologues the these speeches that are incredibly he kind of very quickly goes between angry insane man to to reasonable like well mild-tempered old person like little old man with a beard who's been on the sea all his life you kind of have a hard time getting a grasp of who his true character is yeah like you never really find out who is kind of like the crazier one yeah I think, between the two well, I think Just, it's obvious that Robert Pattinson well, was the Well, that's very one. subjective. And I think we can allow our listeners to decide, but I they're basically they're the only two characters in this entire movie and I just love being able to see their relationship under a microscope and they they become very close, but in the beginning they don't even know each other's names for a lot of the movie. Robert Pattinson doesn't really speak like even two sentences in a row until halfway through. Yeah, the the change you kind of start thinking that Robert Pattinson is this boy, I guess you know, like just a young person who who doesn't really know anything and he's kind of timid, but then he becomes somebody that likes to uh, self abuse (laughs) in the lingo of of the Victorians. Yeah, in the lingo of the eighteen hundreds, and he's obviously very tortured by something. He's having these nightmares. He uh, wants to have sex with a mermaid. Mm. which was pretty uh, shocking What do you think scene. that's a metaphor for? Just the love of the sea. Right. <laughs> yeah, just loving the ocean. And and I'm sure a lot of kids that grew up watching SpongeBob had similar dreams, mm. night terrors. Um, yeah, oh, I mean, incredible, really incredible movie. To me, it seemed kind of uh, Lovecraftian was a word that maybe I would use to describe it. You know, with the wow. tentacles, I'm told that's very of H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah, I uh, read him. I've read them, I guess. So yeah, I could, I can confirm that, I guess. Yeah, Vanessa likes to read that kind of like red pill stuff. She's kind of like the Chad reader, and I'm like the virgin movie watcher. Sure. Cause, no, because as we all know, H.P. Lovecraft was 
mm, racist. Not like an ideal figure, right? Like not a hero. No. By any standard. Okay, but tell us what you like. What are the themes from this movie? Because it's labeled as a horror, but it's not super scary. It's it's more like a th- kind of a psychological thriller. Yeah, I really didn't um, find it scary. There was one scene at the end that you said like "oh f" and you jumped really loudly, and to me that was kind of like "oh, that's sweet." When he has an axe. No, just your reaction. I was like. Oh, I guess there is something sacred in movies still. Right. You know, if that can eli- if a movie can elicit that kind of response, mm-hmm. okay, maybe the silver the screen's themes? not dead. Yeah, I guess the big theme, you know, there's isolation, which we mentioned. It's two guys on an island and just how they keep themselves and engage with each other on that small, small space. Um, I think masculinity. it's masculinity. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Masculinity, sure. And they ki- almost kiss. yeah. There's a scene where they almost kiss seems like there's a, a theme of like not parenthood i maybe parenthood right because it's i don't know if parenthood's the or like right word. power and authority like their power mm, power and authority good good maybe. good 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 good, he, good like he's kind of like at one hand a mentor and then he switches to like an yeah antagonist. there's a scene earlier they're fighting and he says robert pattinson tells willem dafoe hey you're not my dad you know you're not like my father but at the end of the movie uh after their big, big climactic fight, well, more or less, you know, it's in the climax. Oh, yeah. He uh, he he beats up Willem Dafoe really badly after choking him, and then he says, bark like a dog. Bark like a dog. And he keeps saying that, and he essentially makes Willem Dafoe pretend to be like a dog, and he puts a rope around his neck mm-hmm. and walks him around like a dog. That was amazing. And then buries Willem Dafoe. Also, another incredible scene that was kind of suffocating with Willem Dafoe where he's talking while Robert Pattinson is shoveling dirt onto his face. And Willem Dafoe keeps talking, and it was just crazy. The whole thing was really crazy, visually, everything. So there's that. I think there were some, seemed like some kind of similar themes to The Witch, right? I think in what the light represents, which I think, and a lot of people seem to think it's uh, supposed to be maybe an allusion to Prometheus, like going the Greek figure going to get fire, which represents knowledge, and then falling, you know, God sending him back to Earth. And in the end, having his liver picked out by a bird mm-hmm. or a seagull or whatever in the movie. Like Adam and Eve. And yeah, the yeah, exactly. Similar to Adam and Eve. And I just noticed it seemed to me at least similar to the uh, climax of The Witch where she signs that deal with the devil. She, you know, at the end, for the people that haven't seen it, she walks into the woods with the other witches where she starts levitating. And she has like a pure look of joy on her face. Um, in the ending of this movie, Robert Pattinson climbs the lighthouse up, up to the top. He finally gets access to the light, which he's been looking for the whole movie. He's been, you know, effectively craving it as time goes on. He finally sees it. It something obviously life altering happens to him. Something revelationary, revolutionary, a revelation. Mm-hmm. The look on his face, similar to the witch, just pure ecstasy. But then something changes, and it almost seems like he subverts what happens in the witch. Mm-hmm. He falls back down the lighthouse. All the way down the stairs, I assume breaking bones, I don't know. Anyway, cast down to the earth like the Prometheus thing. And pigeon, seagull. Pigeon. (laughs) (laughs) Seagulls. Seagulls eating his liver. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, great movie. Love it. Wow. No, it it was really worth the wait because it's been two years. Well, it's been even more than two years since The Witch. But yeah, it's been a lot. Yeah. I've been waiting. And you said something pretty funny too, Vanessa. I remember we were at the movie and you said, I hope this isn't another cheap sophomoric attempt from a struggling horror director, or struggling 
horror director that identifies as like a, a cinema auteur or something, right? And I kind of said like, well, that's weird to say. Like, it's just a movie. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to say like this. I was presently surprised. Like, I wasn't very happy with Midsummer. Uh, you know, Us, the Get Out movie, Jordan, Jordan Peele's Peele. second movie was okay. But, you know, I thought this was as good as, but probably better than The Witch. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, that's a lot. I know it's a lot to digest. Like I said, 10 out of 10, definite recommend. Although hopefully if you're hearing this, it's too late. You've already <laughs> seen the movie. So Vanessa, on the note of scary things, mm-hmm. I think you were saying that you were reading some little manual or little kid's book or something. What was that? So for this week's episode of the podcast, I decided to read... A collection of short stories by Shirley Jackson. And she's the one that did The Haunting of Hill House. Yes. So if any of you have a subscription to the popular streaming service Netflix, you may have seen that last year they did an adaptation of The Haunting of Hill House. It's more of like a really loose interpretation of the novel. It's not actually based on the real characters, but that's her most famous novel. It's, it's considered one of the best ghost stories of all time i don't know about that yeah i know you're a big stevie stevie king fan over here but has stephen king written a ghost book i don't know i think stephen king has written about literally every subject don't flame me sk fans please yeah i so i have read stephen king and i've read what stephen king have you read (laughs) this isn't an interview what stephen king have you read and I've read Edgar Allan Poe. What Stephen King have you read? <laughs> I've read chapters of different books. Okay. Sorry to interrupt. So, yeah, I've read a lot of different horror authors. I'm not a horror expert when it comes to writing, but I have to say that this is, to me, this was the most disturbing horror writing I've ever read, short story collection I've ever read. Um, so it's called Dark Tales. And usually, you know, I've said I've... I, trying to just read contemporary novels so this was published in 2016 so that's why i'm talking about on the podcast but they were all written between like the 1940s and 1960s the other so before i get into it i thought i would mention that a lot of these were published posthumously so shirley jackson's son decided to publish some of these uh previously unreleased short stories after her death and some of them are good and i'm glad that he did that but one of them in particular is so bad and when i read it i was 100 percent knew right away that it had not been like published in her lifetime and when i looked it up and found out that that was true i was i you know patted myself on the back for being so observant but it was just so bad that i knew that there's no way that shirley jackson would have um allowed it to have been like to see the light of day because she obviously would have like edited it or something. So anyways, I just wanted to say that I do sort of feel on the fence about publishing authors' work or even releasing any kind of artist's art after they've died because it seems to me really unfair because they didn't get to consent to that. I know. I think Stephen King actually is just trying to bring it back. Uh, I think he also must feel that way and he's trying to beat us to it by publishing literally every thought yeah even if it you know if he tells his friends something and they say like that's a good idea he'll write it just in case in a posthumous interview yeah his friend says yeah he wanted to write this book stephen king says no leaf left unturned i do not doubt that if stephen king dies he wants us to read every single thing that he wrote (laughs) i know his lifetime um so yeah so i'll just start by reading an introduction by otesha moshfeg 
so and another really great author so uh, just as an introduction to this short story collection. So in each story in this collection, my, the everyday world becomes tinted with an odd sheen of terror. My faith in the consistency of day-to-day life wanes as I read. Though Jackson often often starts off rather benignly, her characters are never panicked from the get-go, but snake their way into sna- states of dismay. dismay sorry. She has a mystifying knack for illustrating the horrifying uncertainties around the basic laws of reality. Don't be hypnotized by the sanctity of the superficial rhythm of humdrum life, Jackson warns, for under the surface of things, people change, sometimes irrevocably, and yet they may appear unaltered. So this sort of captures the different themes that a lot of the stories deal with, identity, sanity, you know, loss of, of the perception of reality. So what the reason that I... I Prefer, preferred a lot of these short stories to other horror short stories that I've read like H.P. Lovecraft is that I liked that they dealt with everyday life and sort of flipping this switch of having a character go th- wake up one morning regular day and then suddenly something changes and their whole life is flipped upside down whereas you know a lot of other horror stories have to have ghosts and monsters and different things but they're you know only one collect one story in this entire collection actually has something supernatural take place an actual ghost but other than that they're more to do with characters who aren't what they seem or you know so anyways um i'll go through some of the stories i liked so there are 17 stories in total i liked 11 of them a lot okay and listeners (laughs) if you're keeping count 11 divided by 17 i don't know but whatever the percentage is write it down because it will come back in a future episode yeah um, I, four of them I did not like, and two I was neutral. So that's pretty good. Okay. So eleven, and then you know six that I was you know not didn't love. So yeah, so <laughs> uh, the first one that I really enjoyed is called the Possibility of Evil. So it's it's about an old woman in this beautiful small town. She's in a beautiful big house. She's lived there her entire life. Her family was one of the first families to settle in this town. And it just follows her going to the grocery store and talking with different people in, on the street. She's She seems pretty nosy, but you're kind of thinking, okay, well, she's old. Like, that's what old people are like sometimes. And she goes home and she's just, she does the same thing she does every night. She eats dinner and she starts writing letters. And you start to realize that something is off about these letters she's writing because she doesn't write her name. She goes to the post office late at night when she knows it'll be closed and she can just slip the letters into the mailbox and she goes that night and there are a bunch of kids outside the post office because it's maybe the 1950s and i guess that's what you do on the on friday night with your friends you which, sorry which is to go to the post office to hang out outside the post office oh man that's time i think that is probably one of the great timeless that and psychologically torturing the school janitor yeah <laughs> right just submitting him to the probably the worst possible ideas that he could ever think of and a lot of things he couldn't think of Mm because he's just a janitor and me and my friends were cool eighth graders yeah the good old days yeah last weekend we all peaked in elementary school yeah and a lot of my friends are still in elementary schools because i like to keep reliving it shout out to johnny down at the eighth grade yeah peter and johnny if you're listening to this get to bed you crazy nut sacks (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so Mrs. Strangeworth, she goes down to the post office and she puts her letters in the mailbox and while she's walking away, one of them actually falls out 
And one of the teenagers is like, hey, you dropped your letter, but she doesn't hear him. So he's like, oh, I'll return it. I'll just deliver it to the address because I'm walking that way anyways. Like he knows who it is that she was writing the letter to. So she goes home and in the morning she wakes up. She's like, she has this great, she feels so great. She's like, oh, three different people in town are going to read the letters I wrote them. And you also see that she's writing really weird stuff like, oh, did you hear about what they were laughing about? behind your back down at the poker game and like oh your son is so stupid so she's writing mean stuff and it's obviously anonymous and that morning when she goes and she checks her mail at the door she sees that someone returned the letter she sent and she's like oh my god like how is this possible i didn't write my i return address obviously and the letter just says um i hope that you like what we've done with your roses whoa (laughs) (laughs) which doesn't sound very scary but for some reason when you're reading it it's just written in this really suspenseful way and she in our no but in our minds right when you hear that kind of thing of course we immediately apply it to our own life we start prephrasing and we're thinking did somebody pour vodka in my roses and kill them right yeah did somebody take my roses and throw out all my legos and playstation games Mm -hmm. like those are my thoughts when i hear it yeah and vanessa like what would one of your thoughts be hearing that I guess I'd be thinking like, oh, did somebody rip up my favorite uh, poster? That's right. As soon as you hear they're doing something to my roses, you immediately think of something not related to roses, but yeah. just something you like. And that's yeah. kind of the power of a poignant female writer, right? Yeah. Of, of empathy. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So basically that's the story. But it's so it's called The Possibility of Evil because... The na- like this main character believes that she's making the world a better place by writing these weird letters because she thinks that she you know by informing her neighbors of every little rumor she hears about them that that she's actually like somehow helping them when she's really just making everyone really upset and you realize that when she was walking around town that day and she would think like oh mr henry looks a little bit upset or angela looks sad it's because they're all freak upset because she's been writing them these crazy letters for like the last year so I like that one. I, anyways, a lot a lot of the, the the stories in this book, they really subvert your expectations of who the villain will be because at first you side with this little old lady who seems really cute and normal, but then you find out that she's the, the villain in the story. But you kind of also feel sympathy for her because she's gotten caught and her roses have been destroyed. And, you, and so you're saying all the novels subvert your, your feeling of who... The stories. You should trust all the stories, should Yeah, it makes you not want to trust anybody. Well, it you makes must... you scared of even the people that you love and are closest to and make a podcast with. Well, I was going to say, you must have really felt unsure of what to do when your mom texted you yesterday saying, I love you, right? Mm-hmm. I still haven't responded. Well, you were probably thinking, what's this bitch going to do to my roses? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking like if I was in a Shirley Jackson like story, what would happen to me? I'm constantly asking myself, uh wwsjd what would Mm -hmm. shirley jackson do wow yeah probably write a scary story well she's dead so she would probably disintegrate (laughs) a little bit more rest in peace pouring out for my girl shirley so yeah so that's a good one uh most of the villains in, in these stories are women as well which i i is always refreshing because you don't always get to see that in a lot of uh a lot of books so another story that I really feel subverts your expectations is called The Honeymoon of Mrs. Smith. So we are introduced to the main character. She's at the grocery store. Everyone in the store is kind of looking at her and they seem to be talking about her and they seem really kind of 
curious about her and she's actually become really used to this attention but we don't know why and the cashier when she gets to the front he he seems to be trying to tell her something but he seems very uncomfortable and doesn't know how to exactly bring it up and she's just thinking like oh my god I wish people would leave me alone I'm just trying to do my groceries and so she goes home to her apartment and her neighbor hears her coming in and she like comes into the apartment and she's like oh my god I finally got you're finally home I need to talk to you and so now we finally learn what it is that everyone in town has been gossiping about and what they're so curious about this this the main character's life so the neighbor says listen like everyone in town knows this I'm sure you must know this at this point you are married to a serial killer and the narrator's just like, no, my God, no, I don't think so. But everyone in town has said that they believe that he looks just like the man in the newspaper who, you know, is on the run, a serial killer who's on the run and his photos have been printed. So her, the neighbor's just like, listen, if you're, my, my husband told me I shouldn't call the police and that it's not my business, but if you're ever in danger, like just yell because we're right below you. And so once you, the, you know, as a reader, you're like, oh my God, everyone in town knows this. And they all seem so fascinated. And it says that they kind of all hope deep down that she is married to the serial killer. No one's intervening. No one's doing anything. And then the, the narrator, she's just so submissive about it. She, she's so, she doesn't do anything. And you learn that she lived basically her entire adult life with her father. And when her father passed away, she sort of didn't know what to do with herself. And then recently she just got married because she met this man on the beach and he was just like, hey, you wouldn't, would you consider marrying me? And she realizes that now her life has meaning again and she doesn't have to make decisions for herself and she is just now finally on her path, her destiny. And she, when she was at the grocery store, she, she didn't want to buy a lot of food. And so fine, so she's alone for a little bit and so here's a quote from the book, the, the story. It will have to be soon, she thought immediately after. People are beginning to wonder too openly. Everyone is waiting. If we, It will spoil everything if it is not soon. It will have to be soon. There's no food for the weekend after all. And I would have to send my dress to the cleaners on Monday if it were here, if I were here. And another week's rent, another week's rent due tomorrow. The pound of coffee would be the only detail unattended to. So she's literally waiting to be murdered by her husband. And she's just... Ladies, aren't we all? I know. TikTok, I mean, come on. I've been waiting for two years now. That would be a pretty upsetting TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> so she's she's actually just worried about the fact that she's bought so much food that if she's not murdered, that she'll have to go back to the grocery store and that she's just worried that if she is murdered, that she doesn't want the food to go bad. So she really doesn't care. And her husband comes home and he's given her a box of chocolate and she realizes okay I think it's about he's about to kill me finally because now he just wants to prove to the police that like oh he did love me like look he bought me a box of chocolates and then it just ends with her saying like well is are we gonna do this and he's like okay yeah I guess so and so I just think this was very interesting because I think if it had been written by a male author it would have been the total opposite and I think Stephen King even has a novel about this where it's like a woman finds out her husband's a serial killer and it's horrifying for her but in this case I think it's even more horrifying because she does the exact opposite of what we would expect her to do and she's so complacent and you just want to you know shake her so I really like that story what do you think about that yeah I mean I like that too uh it sounds like she likes to not make things really scary 
but just kind of let it play to your imagination and 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 uh yeah i don't know it sounded okay i don't know if i would love (laughs) that to be honest with you but well i mean it's it's really not like horror so much as it is like deeply unsettling and disturbing one of the negative things that i will address with reading some of these stories was that i think she does a really good job of describing the setting and the the plot is like you know i think it's like a good well plotted but the actual individual characters it starts to feel a little bit surface level level reading story after story the characters kind of blend together and they don't really feel two-dimensional or three-dimensional or whatever (laughs) 3d they just feel kind of one-dimensional so i think that is one of her flaws but outside of that i think she does a good job of creating atmosphere and the kind of generating this slow building horror and you're you're sort of just reading it wondering like what's going to happen next like i really flew through these stories because i was so i wanted more um one of the stories that i think is actually kind of a little bit scarier but it kind of has more of a social message i guess is it's called home and it's about a couple that moves into a small town and the the wife is she's going into town and she's getting kind of getting used to it and getting talking to the townspeople and all of them start to tell her that she shouldn't use the back road um, from her home. Uh, they, they call it the old Sanderson Road be- when it's raining. And she assumes they mean because it's they, she thinks it might be dangerous because they're near it's, there's a little bridge over a creek and she's she assumes they think that the creek's going to overflow. But she uses the road anyways. And when she's driving home that night, she sees an, an old woman and a little boy in the rain and they're soaking wet. And she yells at them to get in her car because the little boy doesn't even have shoes on. And she drives them home. And then when she gets home and turns around, they're not in the car anymore. So (laughs) pretty spooky. It seems like they're ghosts for sure. And then she learns from her husband that he didn't want to tell her. But there's actually when they bought the house, he learned that there was like a, a ghost story associated with their house. That apparently a little boy many years ago was kidnapped by an old crazy woman. And she's actually like super psyched about it. She's like, oh, that's crazy. Like, oh my God, we're such locals. We're such locals. We have our own ghost. Wait till everyone in town hears about this. And her husband's just like, listen, like people don't talk about it here. It's not something they talk about. But she gets in her car and she's about to drive into town where when she turns around and she feels this terrible cold sensation and she turns around and the, the old woman and the little boy are in the car again. And they say that they want her to drive them back to where they were picked up and so she says uh okay I'll drive you back I'll drive you back and she just keeps almost like hypnotically repeating that and she starts driving really fast down to the creek and they start laughing the the ghosts and she's about to drive right into the creek and she really quickly turns the car and almost flies off the bridge and she realizes that she almost died and so she goes into town and she says to them like oh I almost got in an accident today and the cashier is like, oh, on the old Sanderson road. And she's about to tell them what happened. And then she realizes that it's pointless because everyone in town already obviously knows. And she just is like, okay, I'll just have another box of cigarettes. And that's how it ends. And it's, I feel like I like that story because to me, it sort of represented how there are so many things that people don't want to address. Not Not just in small towns, but I think especially small towns have this reputation of sort of having this consensus where people all decide like we're not going to talk about this one thing this dark 
secret like we're not going to address it if we don't address it it's like it doesn't exist but sounds a little hopeless like a little bit of kind of like bleak acceptance right submissive submissive yeah well i think that's the thing that's so creepy about a lot of these stories is it's 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 depressing to read about people who are so like submissive or they just don't react to their situation so like but this one specifically i thought it was interesting because if they had just warned her if they just tried to tell her like don't this is the reason why you shouldn't use that bridge because there's ghosts then maybe it would have she could have been prevented from like almost dying but would you listen if somebody said don't use the bridge because i know it's true it's true um but yeah so i i thought it was i thought it was that was a good story and there is another story in the collection that's also about sort of small uh, people from a big city moving to a small town really quickly it's about how they these people have a cottage in the summer and they always stay for the four months and they leave after labor day in september but then they decide this one summer they realize okay you know we, we don't have to go back to new york city like right when the summer ends why don't we stay for another month and so they tell everyone in town but everyone they tell sort of reacts in this weird way where they're just like oh i don't think anyone else has ever stayed past the summer like the summer people never stay that long and no one seems happy for them and then as time goes on they you know call the grocery store and they're like hey can we get groceries delivered to us and they say no sorry like we don't do that after labor day and when the oil man comes to he they say can we buy buy some more gas and like heat the house and he's like no like I, I, i don't have enough gas for you guys like i can't do that and then their phone line gets cut and someone tampers with their car and so they're stranded like they can't leave and they even become suspicious of their own son's letter that he sends them even though it's it seems really normal and it's his handwriting and everything but for some reason they just feel are feeling very suspicious and then that night they're sitting and there's a storm outside and the husband says to his wife you know even i could tell that someone tampered with the car because at the time they were kind of talking about it like oh we got to go to the we got to go to the the car repair shop um or the garage i guess and the wife is says oh, okay i think someone cut the phone line and then they're like well what do we do now and she's like oh, i guess we just wait and so we don't ever find out why all these things happened and it just feels very disturbing because again they just sort of sit there waiting to see what's going to happen and it, it maybe you think okay are the townspeople going to come and be like now you're part of our cult like we're in a weird cult or are the towns- townspeople going to come and just kill them and like there's no real answer and I just, I think it feels, that one to me felt like a really classic Shirley Jackson story where it's like very mysterious and uncomfortable. And, and it, I like that she sort of draws these distinctions between people who live in a rural area versus people who live in an urban area and kind of what it's like when those two cultures collide. Um, so yeah, that's another good one. Sounds like you got upwards of 11 good ones in your no chamber. i know i'm sorry i know i can't just talk about all of them i'm trying to try draw parallels between them like another one really i'm not going to go into the whole summary but another story that i really felt you could tell it was written by like a female author again is called the beautiful stranger and it's about a woman whose husband comes back from a business trip and he looks the exact same but right, right away she can tell for some reason that he's not her husband that it's a doppelganger but instead of being scared or even questioning why this happened, she's just ecstatic. She's happy because when he'd left, they'd been in a fight. And she realizes that she didn't really realize until that moment that she'd actually been scared of her husband. But now that it was a beautiful stranger, 
she was happy and she was happy to have a new husband and i think that if it had been written by stephen king for example it would have been this horror of like you know uh what do you call the aliens who turn there's a movie about people who become aliens who become they look like us or what body snatchers yeah it'd be like invasion of the body snatchers but in this it's more like it's the 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 terror and the the fear is that of the way that she reacts as if it's normal and like the the way that they're not reacting the way we would expect them to so okay that's the ones i loved outside of that there you know there was one where kind of there's a couple of stories where it felt like it was almost trying to be funny where it ends on this like one-liner at the end that's sort of a twist and i didn't like those so much where it's just a little shocking twist that seems like the whole thing was just written to give you that ending but the ones that are more of like a slow burn and are really unpredictable to me those were like really worth it and i think that everyone should check out if not if not this collection she has tons of other short story collections the lottery is her most famous short story but I really want to read um, We've Always Lived in a Castle. That's one of her other big gothic horror novels. And um, sorry to cut you off, but no, just okay. you know, just thinking about Shirley Jackson, I didn't really read them, but I guess there is kind of a similarity between her uh, young adult books and the one and the movie The Lighthouse, right? Just thinking about Prometheus and those Greek novels. What do you think about that? What do you mean young adult? Uh, you know, she's like, she wrote a book about the kid that's like half god and he goes to like a camp percy jackson oh ha, yeah ha. shirley jackson and the olympians shirley jackson that's funny very funny funny yeah well i did love percy jackson and the olympians so i wouldn't mind a crossover between the two yeah i think that would be great and uh no great so it sounds like you liked it enough i mean i didn't again i didn't do the quick math i was too busy listening i was too engaged with you but uh, so you said 11 out of 17 you liked, you loved, yeah. and then the other six you didn't really care for. What do you think that translates to on a scale of 10 pumpkins? I would say that specifically this short story collection maybe would be like a 7 out of 10 pumpkins. Uh, mm, mm. Only, again, I just really feel like her son shouldn't have published one of these stories. Specifically, it's called um, The Man in the Woods. For anyone out there, it's a really bad story. It's really dumb. It makes no sense. And I actually genuinely feel like upset for Shirley Jackson that they did this because I don't think it's fair to like tarnish her reputation by publishing this story that maybe she wrote and was like, oh, this is so stupid. Like, I hope no one ever sees this. It's so, the great Hollywood disappointment, Charlie Brown. Yeah, it's true. But yeah, so what are, what are you looking forward to, you know, watching in the next week or whatever? Um, well, I hope to finish Poltergeist. Mm-hmm. What about you? Well, I'm enjoying right now. We're watching The Detroiters huh. with Tim Robinson. That's a very funny series. It's on Crave. He's funny. And he, I think it was on Comedy Central before. Comedy Central. So I recommend that show. Yeah. And besides that, I'm excited to... Just chill on Halloween and eat some candy. Ah, woo. Woo. Okay. That's... Do you have anything else to say to our listeners? Uh, peace, love, and 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 make sure to not bite into candied apples with razor blades haphazardly yeah. stuck into be them. Be safe this Halloween. Yeah, be safe. Okay. And follow our Instagram. Thank you. Bye. Bye.